Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Sinema is hoping that she can cobble together those among the Democrats who do support her. Republicans in Congress have decided that they'd rather fight against uh, the health and well-being of our troops. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I, you know, there's a lot of speculation. Is she trying to avoid a Democratic primary? I mean, we don't know if Kim McCarthy is actually going to be able to pull this off. You know, mm-hmm. the crazy train has pulled in, the circuits has put up the tent, and now the clowns are running around inside and they're still not organized. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Tomorrow, it is a showdown that we've been waiting for. Sam Bankman fried the founder of FTX, faces members of Congress who are grappling with how to address crypto. Because as we know, navigating the nuances of technology is not always Congress's strongest suit. We're also going to break down what you can expect to hear tomorrow. And it's that time of year again, not just Christmas, but also potential government shutdown season. Lawmakers are scrambling to put together legislation to fund the government with a current deadline of this Friday. This is Emily Wilkins filling in today for Joe Matthew. And we've got some great guests coming up. Well, excited to welcome now onto the show uh, Terry Haynes. He is the founder of Pangea Policy, and he had a really interesting memo out today about how the fate of crypto is going to rest in Congress's hands with tomorrow's hearing on FTX, where Sam Bankman-Fried is expected to testify before lawmakers. And, and Terry, you were at one time the head staffer of the House Financial Services Committee. You know this committee. You know Congress. What are you going to be watching during the hearing tomorrow? Hi, Emily. Good evening. Um, well, I'm, I'm fundamentally, I'm going to be watching uh, to see if they're serious uh, or not. And I don't mean to suggest members are, are fundamentally unserious. What I do mean to suggest is if you're doing oversight and investigations that, that might turn into legislation, uh, you have to be very focused about it. And, you know, I, so I put together the, the note, which you kindly uh, referenced, uh, a bunch of tells uh, so that markets could figure out uh, whether or not uh, the things were going to go well. Uh, you know, th- basic things, whether they have a game plan, whether they're sticking to it. Uh, so far, I think they are because their only uh, witnesses are not just uh, the famous SBF, but John Ray, who's the new CEO of FTX. He goes first, so he's going to set the table. Uh, but the committee's going to have to keep focused. Uh, they're going to have to make sure that a lot of the things that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried said uh, to pu- publicly to journalists and others, uh, uh, they, they get affirmed under oath because not just for their own investigations, 
but because that's going to help federal prosecutors and regulators. Uh, I'd stay away right now from public policy, from uh, from taking partisan cheap shots. And, uh, and, you know, if I were Patrick McHenry, who's very likely going to be the next head of the Financial Services Committee, uh, I'd be talking about uh, an, an initial uh, kind of rollout of, you know, where where he thinks the committee should go. But fundamentally, uh, they need to keep this bipartisan, but they need to keep it focused. And if they don't, it's going to be deadly. Uh, and, and it's, I mean, it's going to be deadly slow. It's going to be uh, not particularly useful to anybody. And it will, might well signal that uh, the Congress isn't up to this. So it's an important day all around. Terry, I've sat in a number of these hearings before. I know you have as well. With the exception of of maybe the more recent January 6th committees, usually this is not primetime television. The questions tend to be all over the place. Lawmakers tend to go for that golden 30-second gotcha clip. Can we expect to see some of that tomorrow? Or is this an issue where, because Congress is a little bit newer to the table on it, we're seeing less of that partisan breakdown when it comes to how different lawmakers and how different parties are viewing this issue? I think, you know, I think basically it depends. It depends on whether uh, both sides, uh, uh, Mrs. Waters for the uh, for the Democrats, Mr. McHenry for the Republicans, uh, I think talk to their members and urge them. They can't uh, dictate to them, but urge them to say, look, you know, let's keep this focus. We've got two witnesses. Let's get all the information we can out of this. Let's lay a really good groundwork. Um, if they, you know, if they do that and the members listen to them, uh, they're going to have a good hearing. Uh, but on the other hand, as you point out, uh, you know, if you're going to have another one of these sorts of hearings where 54 members, and that's how many members of this committee there are, 54 members are going to take their five minutes and essentially speechify from the from the dais. Uh, it's going to be a long day, but uh, but more fundamentally, it's not going to get anywhere. And one thing I point out in the note is really Congress is the only entity here that can kind of grab all the reins together and and come up with not just investigations about Bankman-Fried and FTX, uh, but also crypto, and then also pivot into trying to figure out uh, you know how, how to agree on legislation and you know what the public policy issues are. They haven't really started any of that stuff yet, uh, but uh, but they're going to have to. And yeah. uh, so this is a very important moment for them. And certainly it's going to be a big day tomorrow. Bloomberg is going to be covering this hearing very closely. But, Terry, I also want to take a larger look at what Congress needs to do this week, next week, for the rest of this lame duck session that we're in. Obviously, number one thing, of course, is to keep the government funded. The current short-term bill that we have, it's going to end on December 16th. At this point, read the tea leaves for us. What's going to be happening? Are we going to see some sort of comprehensive funding bill that comes before Christmas? I think what's very likely to happen, Emily, is that uh, we get we're operating on uh, what in Washington is known as a continuing resolution now, temporary funding at uh, last year's levels. Uh, that'll continue uh, very likely for another week between December 16 and 23rd. Uh, the idea is that uh, they can put they can finalize spending bills by December 23rd and go home for Christmas. Uh, you know, I got to say right now the situation is very fluid right now. I see it's sort of 40-60 that they uh, they get there. In other words, it's a little less likely that that happens. Uh, the, the big incentive for them is that uh, this is the last moments of the current Congress's uh, ability to reach these compromises. 
but there's incentives for both sides, uh, frankly, to uh, to kick it over into the new year as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I will I won't call it impossible by any means, but right now I don't see the uh, uh, I don't see the either side really wanting to uh, uh, get things done quickly and go home. Last year, this took almost six months to finalize, as I'm sure you well know, and uh, and it may it may take something like that going into the new year. Uh, Republicans like to say that they have more incentives to do different things. Uh, so do Democrats. So in a split Congress, this is likely to take longer rather than shorter, I think. I mean, if this does get knocked into next year, is that going to drastically change what this bill looks like? Obviously, at that point, then Republicans will have con- assumed control of the House. Uh, but of course, Democrats will still be in control of the Senate. Biden will still be president. So does the actual contents of what could be in a final comprehensive bill change a lot if this does get bumped think, next year? Well, I, very smart question. And, I, and the short answer is I don't think it does change very much. Uh, both parties have perfected the kind of kabuki art over the past 10 to 15 years of, uh, you know, looking like they're uh, looking like they're wrestling uh, hugely over uh, over issues. Uh, but in fact, what ends up happening at the end of uh, at the end of the year on spending bills is that the the, the basic federal spending changes very little, uh, you know, one percent, two percent. You know, it, it is always uh, Democrats will always say, you know, what we're interested in is beefing up domestic programs as much as possible, uh, maybe even at the expense of, of defense. Uh, Republicans traditional view has been, well, you know, we'd like to beef up defense and we don't don't you know, we're not as interested in overfunding they would call uh, domestic programs. Sure. Uh, I and think in that's the end, current... an uneasy compromises reached. So uh, I think that happens again. And I think that's the current sticking point right now, really, between the two of them are those non-defense spending levels, yeah, exactly yeah, how much absolutely. those programs are, are going to get. I know there's also been some talk about just doing a year-long CR, kind of that that temporary continuing resolution, the one that we're operating under right now. And right. I'm just wondering if you can sort of, because you'll, you'll know this better than I do, I know there's some major concerns if they just do a year-long CR, but what is that actually going to mean for for the country, for the military? Well, it's bad. It's bad for the military. Uh, the, you know, we go through. You know, back in the day, uh, uh, Congress used to not only appropriate money; they used to authorize it. In other words, they used to uh, come up with sub, you know, the substantive programs and agree on those. Uh, the what's called the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, is really the last major one of those that still exists. But Congress takes it very seriously. What what what? NDAA will pass this week, but what it'll what it'll mean is it'll authorize money, but not appropriate it. So, uh, Congress wants a an increase in defense uh, funding overall, uh, more than the Biden administration would have wanted. Uh, but that won't be funded in a uh, year long CR. So the uh, the military is understandably uh, you know not happy about the prospect that uh, a, a full year CR might happen. Uh, and I think that is a major reason why uh, why Congress ends up uh, ultimately compromising and uh, and passing full year spending bills is simply that you know existing programs the military is a perfect example of this but there are many many others uh, the funding decisions made for, for for existing programs for the current fiscal year would never take effect in a CR mm-hmm. and that's something that too many members you know wouldn't want to have happen. 
So, you know, I think this happens in the end. Absolutely. And in addition, of course, to, to funding the government, I mean, we do have a few weeks left. We actually saw some legislation move last week with the House uh, passing protections for same-sex marriage. Is, is there anything else, Terry, that you think might actually be able to get done before the end of the year? Uh, short answer is I think not. Uh, there's a bunch of things that, you know, different lobby groups really are pushing. Different groups of members are really pushing. Uh, you know, so-called Safe Banking Act on marijuana, a bunch of other things. Uh, but the, you know, where members are at this point is, uh, and where they are every year at this at this sort of point, is, is very simply uh, saying to themselves, look, uh, if we put something, you know, something in, whether it's safe banking or something else, that uh, that is non-germane to the spending. Does that get me votes or does it cost me votes? Mm-hmm. If it gets me votes, then we can talk about it. If it costs me votes, if it's controversial for some reason, then the answer almost certainly is no, it's out. But, uh, you know, as you well know, members and senators don't like to say no to each other uh, very directly. So that dance continues uh, for quite a while. But in the end, I think uh, I think this is going to be fairly tightly, uh, tightly written. Uh, you know, the big uh, the big exceptions here are. Uh, Ukraine spending and Taiwan spending, and again, both of which I think end up uh, happening, uh, but uh, maybe even on a CR. But uh, other than that, I think uh, most others who are pushing for things are going to be disappointed. Absolutely. Well, Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to coming on, breaking down the hearing tomorrow, as well as what Congress needs to do for the next couple of weeks. That was Terry Haynes, founder of Pangea Policy. I also wanted to turn now to our all-star panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano. Uh, thank you guys both so much, as always, for, for being here and joining us and lending your insights. And I kind of want to pick up a little bit going back to the discussion about the budget uh about passing funding for congress i mean terry just said you know that if the if we pass a bill this year it's not going to look very different from a bill that might be passed next year that it's a bit of a kabuki theater and and rick i I just sort of wanted to come to you first because i know that you've obviously had a a past in the senate Uh, why is it that our process to fund the government has gotten as sort of chaotic as it is where we're all you know wondering when we can go home for christmas because we just don't know when legislation is going to be passed. Yeah, gone are the days, Emily, of uh, seeing Senate pass eight, you know, 12 appropriations bills during the course of the year and get their, you know, funding set before the end of the fiscal year in September. Uh, But look, I mean, you know, lots of times we do see Congress act when their backs are up against the clock and and the clock is ticking. Uh, They may blow through this this one deadline they've got. Uh, but it's likely that they will act, I would think, you know, before the end of uh, the Christmas holiday, before Christmas holiday. And I would say primarily because I don't think Leahy and Shelby, the two, you know, senior ranking people on the Appropriations Committee, want their last year in office to be marred by not being able to get a budget passed and just kicking the CR into next year. Uh, and, and there are so many important programs that are embedded in, especially like military spending that they want to see done. Uh, the idea of a CR that just sort of sets things in last year's spending levels is is really grating on a lot of people. So I do think there's energy on the side of getting this done. Uh, and I think legacy actually has something to do with it this time around. 
Absolutely. And, and Jeannie, I also wanted to ask just about sort of what else Congress has on their agenda. Obviously, this is the final weeks of Democrats getting to be able to say they control the House and the Senate and the White House. They'll lose control of the House after this. And is there anything that's going to really die with that? Things that they're pushing for now that if they just can't get it done, there's no way to accomplish once you have that divided government? Well, really important things to Democrats, like the voting rights bill, will die in the new Congress. And that's something we saw the Congressional Black Caucus try to hold up the NDAA a a little bit. Um, They were not successful in doing that in the House. But because they realize that the train is leaving the station, quote unquote, and if they don't get their wish list on that train, so to speak, there's there's not much hope. And that's really where we are at this point. So that's one that's going to die. I don't know if this one will die. We don't know yet, but they really wanted to extend the child tax credit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know if, if they're going to be able to do that. There's some talk. We may see that in the government funding bill, but that's a stretch. So there are very important issues like that to Democrats that we just likely won't see. The Electoral Count Act is another one. Um, so, you know, it, it, even though there's bipartisan support for some of these, pushing them through is going to be pretty difficult at this point. Absolutely. I mean, it's just the, the high bar that you need to cross, knowing that if, even if you get in the House, then you have to figure it out with the Senate. Uh, definitely a, a lot of chaos there. Um, Rick, I guess I'll just ask you with, with the few seconds that we have left. I mean, is there anything particular that you think we looked at this year that we might see next year? Uh, sure. I think our friends uh, on the Safe Banking Act that you already talked about, that's a perennial um, a measure that'll come back. Uh, we all need to be able to get access to banking for our uh, marijuana. So that one's going to happen until it doesn't. Well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis, thank you so much. This is Sound On. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. 
Stiefel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This is Emily Wilkins filling in today for Joe Matthew. Well, we had a very big week in Congress last week. Uh, The top news, of course, Arizona Senator Kirsten Senma announcing that she would be leaving the Democratic Party, no longer has that D next to her name, going to be an independent. Uh, And she's not, a couple different details coming out of that. She's not going to caucus with Democrats, but she still will be keeping her committee assignments. Uh, She still plans to vote for a lot of Biden's nominees. And we'll continue to see exactly how she lines up with Democrats and Republicans on various policies. Uh, To bring in a little bit more of this, now that we've had some time to, to chew over what this means and how have some conversations on it. Uh, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis. Uh, thank you guys both so much for joining us. Uh, you know, Jeannie, I want to start with you a little bit. I know obviously this was some huge breaking news last week. We had a bit of the weekend to digest it. And I just want to get a sense, uh, now that we've had a few days, how many ripples is this still causing in D.C.? Is this something that people are still a little bit freaked out about or there's this is something there are still some question marks on or is there kind of a sense that that we now know how things are going to move forward? You know, I think there's still question marks on it. And boy, you know, she didn't give Democrats a lot of time to celebrate their victory from the Georgia runoff before she dropped this news. Um, you know, it wasn't, you know, wholly unexpected, but we really don't know how this pa- is going to pan out. And one of the reasons is because we really don't know what she's going to be doing in the next two years, how she's going to be voting. You know, the White House, in my read, has been taking sort of a wait and see strategy, complimenting her, saying She's voted with the president over 90 percent of the times, failing to mention the time she didn't vote with him. She really, really did a number on his legislative agenda. You know, those were things like the filibuster and the minimum wage and increasing the corporate tax rate. When she said no, those things went away. But, you know, she did vote about 93 percent and they've been hanging on that. So I think they're taking a little bit of a wait and see attitude in terms of how she votes. But I think the real question is what this means for Democrats in the Senate math for 24. They have a really tough map in 24, and they're going to have to face some big questions like, do they primary her? Or, for instance, do they take a view as they have with, like, Angus King and Bernie Sanders not primarying her? That's going to be a big question. I think a lot of it's going to depend on who the Republicans put up against her out there and, you know, of course, how she votes and sort of the reaction of Democrats in Washington to her comportment over the next two years. Jeannie, you you perfectly teed this up because I actually wanted to go quickly uh, to Senator Angus King. He spoke over the weekend to CNN about his thoughts on Senator Sinma, as well as what this is going to mean in 2024 for her primary. You know, there's a lot of speculation. Is she trying to avoid a Democratic primary? One of the problems with primaries today is that they tend to favor the activists on either side, Mm -hmm. Republican or Democrat. And so somebody who does reach across the aisle has trouble. You you can lose your seat in a primary, not because of your position on immigration or any of those kinds of things. You can lose your seat because you're viewed as someone who talks to the other side. Rick, you've got a background in the Senate and in elections, and I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on what Senator King just said there. Obviously, he is actually an independent himself. He does caucus with the Democrats, but he has got that I next to his name. I mean, is this going to be something, switching the affiliation from Democrat to independent, how much is that actually going to help uh, Senator Sinma be able to return to the Senate in 2024? 
You know, that's a good question, Emily. And and I think, you know, if she uh, comports herself like uh, uh, Senator King has, he's immensely popular in his own home state, you know, as an independent. Uh, he's obviously been a great ally of Democrats, you know, in the in the Senate. Um, then there's much to do about nothing. But uh, you can't help but think that all the noise, all the anger on the left of the Democratic Party toward Kristen Sinema this year, and it's been it's been significant um, and and vitriolic, uh, both in Washington and in her own home state with fellow Democrats. Uh, you really wonder if that wasn't part of the, the 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 consideration that she had when she announced to be an independent. It's a very complex state. Uh, she mentioned in her announcement that uh, there's almost a majority of independent voters as there are Democrats and Republicans, and that's true. It's like a third, a third, a third. Uh, but um, uh, the complexity of running a third party campaign uh, is significant. And, and, and if that was one of her considerations, I would say it had to be a minor one because there's really no apparent upside to doing it the way she's doing it. it I would think be much easier for her to win a party primary and then uh, have a more than uh, even chance of winning in the general than trying to come at it as a third party candidate. Yeah, it's obviously incredibly difficult in this country to run as a third party. I mean, you've seen some senators do it. Lisa Murkowski successfully pulled it off. Uh, obviously not this past year, uh, but previously. Uh, but no, it's it's very tough to do, especially if Democrats are going to run their own candidate uh, who is going to attract more folks uh, from the left who are, are fed up with some of the things that we've seen uh, from Senator Sinma in this past year. Uh, I also want to switch the topics real quick, go from the Senate to the House, where obviously we are watching a very, very interesting uh, race right now, maybe less of a race and more of a balancing act uh, for Republican Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Republicans, he's the nominee to be speaker, but of course that vote's not coming till January 3rd. And already we've seen about five members of his own party say, hey, we don't know if we're going to be able to support him. And a huge question about what that's going to look like. Uh, we had Congressman uh, Ruben Gallego on MSNBC talking about McCarthy. Gallego is, of course, uh, a Democrat, but he talked a little bit about what uh, McCarthy might be able to do or, or not do come January 3rd. We don't know if Kim McCarthy is actually going to be able to pull this off. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the crazy train has pulled in, the circus has pulled, has, has put up the tent, and now the clowns are running around inside and they're still not organized. So let's see what happens. Um, at the end of the day, uh, we may have something to work with, but, you know, this is a very scary time for this country because these members of Congress are more interested in power and what it will bring to them, not what they can do for the country. Jeannie, what does it mean right now that Republicans are having trouble uniting around a candidate for a speaker, uh, someone who's long been sort of seen as the likely next Republican speaker? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really bad news for the Republican Party They in the House. They are weakening their future potential speaker. I mean, you know, he likely survives this, but he comes out of it weakened because of all the giveaways and all the, uh, you know, sort of negotiations he's had to, uh, you know, sort of contend with with these five or six or more, you know, people who are opposed to him in the party. And I think, you know, Don Bacon really has said it best. You know, he has really said, given, given a warning, I think, to Republicans, 
Nancy Pelosi was able to govern the exact same 22, you know, majority, and they were able to get things done. Why are you throwing this away? Um, and, and it is really a warning to his own conference that be careful what you do here. You know, worst case scenario, they get a Democrat <laughs> like Hakeem Jeffries, which is unlikely to happen. But, you know, um, best case scenario, get, they get a weakened Kevin McCarthy, and that hurts everyone. And unfortunately, it's, you know, the five or six op opponents who really just want his head and nothing else that leaves them in this weakened position. So I think it's very bad news for the party at this point, and it's got to be frustrating for the vast majority of Republicans who want to move forward with their agenda. And Rick, uh, do you get a sense, I mean, what's Kevin McCarthy going to have to do to wind up winning some of these members over? And are they going to wind up becoming a, a constant headache for him, anything that he tries to do to see this kind of obstruction? Because it really does only take a handful of members at this point with margins this narrow. Oh, for sure, Emily. I mean, as you know, you only need to, you need to 118, but he doesn't have many to lose, just three or four. And and the reality is, um, it's very easy for detractors to uh, pick on him right now. I mean, he's in a very vulnerable position. He was never a particularly strong leader within the caucus anyway. He had pressure from the center. Uh, he had pressure from the the lunatic fringe, and 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 he's really never dealt with it. And and he's just sort of. Uh, hoped, I think, that his allegiance to Donald Trump would pave the way to the speakership. Uh, maybe he should have been doing more work himself to to garner these votes. But one thing he is doing uh, that is going to be tested by time is he's keeping other people out of the race against him. You can only lose to somebody else. And, uh, and, and, and if there is a legitimate contender in this race, it does complicate his tour to uh, the speaker's job. Uh, significantly. But uh, right now he's doing a good job of keeping everybody else's ambitions cool. And that's the best thing he's got going for himself right now. Absolutely. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see. We've heard Congressman Andy Biggs, uh, a House Freedom Caucus member uh, from Arizona, say that he would challenge McCarthy. But I know there's also been some potential discussion that some of the other Republicans in leadership might step up, depending on what we see. Of course, that's going to be very interesting to watch. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. This is Emily Wilkins filling in today for Joe Matthew. Well, we are looking ahead to tomorrow, uh, the epic showdown with the House Financial Services Committee, where lawmakers will have the chance to ask Sam Bankman-Fried many questions that they have on crypto, as well as give a sense about exactly what Congress is going to do about FTX, about crypto, about regulation. This is a, a, a new area for Congress to look into. And while we've already seen some proposals on where they could go with regulation. This hearing tomorrow is really going to give us a much better sense of where things stand. We've already started hearing from some lawmakers. Uh, Congressman Brad Sherman, a California Democrat, joined Javen Weston in Balance of Power today to review what he's concerned about and what he wants to learn more about tomorrow. Uh, I, I One thing that I'm concerned about is it's kind of chutzpah to have investors who sent their money to the Bahamas so that they could evade U.S. investor protection law, which is the only reason you establish uh, an exchange in the Bahamas. And then the investors say, well, I sent my money to the Bahamas to evade uh, the SEC's protection. Now, damn it, why didn't the SEC protect me? Uh, we can't protect American investors worldwide if they, 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 they choose to, uh, to take their money uh, offshore. 
Um, and uh, But at least we signal that when you send your money to the Cayman Islands, when you send your money to the Bahamas, uh, there's a reason why the financial institution is there. And, it's, and the reason it's there is to evade U.S. law. Well, to talk a little bit more about this, uh, we're bringing in now Harvey Pitt, former chairman of the SEC, CEO of Colorama Partners. Uh, Harvey, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to pick up right where the congressman left off. How do you regulate an asset that is designed explicitly to elude regulation? Well, I think part of the problem is the entire area has no regulation, even for domestic concerns. We don't know what the rules of the road are. We don't know uh, who has authority and who doesn't. We've got some uh, jurisdiction uh, grabbing by uh, various agencies. But the real issue is, um, how is this industry being regulated? And the answer is, it's not. The second, in response to your question, is if people choose to invest their money overseas, there really isn't anything anyone can do to protect them. They run the risk, and as long as they understand the risk, um, then at least they do it with their eyes open. But um, for a lot of people, um, uh, this just seemed to be um, a quick way to get rich, and they thought that they were getting something uh, that, uh, was desirable when, in fact, what they were getting was, uh, to put it bluntly, uh, garbage. So um, I think there are real problems here, and the uh, necessary effort is to come up with an administration-wide position on the regulation of cryptocurrencies. And so when you hear... Congress ask questions of Sam Bankman-Fried tomorrow. What are you going to be listening for? Do you think that we're going to start hearing that sort of administration-wide policy? I mean, obviously, the, the Biden administration might want to take their own track from, say, Republicans in the House that will have control of the chamber next year. But, but overall, what are you watching for in tomorrow's hearing? Well, I think um, uh, one thing is to uh, watch for some sensible development of types of um, regulatory schemes. The administration put out a statement in November on uh, the need for um, a national policy on regulating cryptocurrencies. I think that was a, a fairly well-done statement, and it's one that I think people need to pay attention to. There have to be a set of rules that govern cryptocurrencies, and they aren't necessarily the rules that already exist. We've got SEC efforts to um, create a policy through enforcement actions but um, that is really the worst way to solve this particular problem. Uh, you can't do this by looking at the worst cases and so on. You have to look at this as to what appropriate functions cryptocurrencies can serve and then finding a way to come up with rules that will make sense of how uh, these interests are offered 
how they're regulated, and who has access to them. I also wanted to get your specific thoughts, because Congress has taken a bit of a stab at this. Uh, You saw Senator Cynthia Loomis, a Republican, and Senator uh, Kristen Gillibrand, a Democrat. They've introduced a bill called the Digital Asset Bill that's providing a comprehensive framework for the regulation of digital assets. Do you think that that particular legislation is a good starting spot for Congress to uh, continue their discussions and and maybe sort of have that pass and, and see what happens and then build off of that? I do. It's, it's not necessarily that that legislation um, uh, should be adopted in uh, substantially the form it's now in. It's that having a legislative prescription is what is absolutely crucial at this particular point in time. And so I think the senators should be given credit for at least attempting to put together a package of thoughts and ideas that would enable the government to regulate these offerings and make use of the uh, advantages that can come with many of these cryptocurrencies. Are you how confident are you in Congress's ability to handle this issue? Because we've seen in some other newer areas. I'm thinking things dealing with technology, with groups like Facebook, that sometimes when you get to these hearings, the questions that lawmakers ask, they're just, they're not really on on the edge of what needs to be asked. It shows that they're still really learning about some of these technologies and some of these these different items out there. Do you have a sense at this point on whether Congress is really able to start asking these questions about crypto? Or is this something that we're just going to see at the hearing tomorrow? Well, I I don't know that we'll see it at tomorrow's hearings. But I do believe this is something that Congress is eminently capable of handling. This is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is a national issue. There's, There's no politics here. The question is, what are the benefits of cryptocurrencies? How do we marshal them for the benefit of the government and its citizens? And how do we establish rules of the road? I don't think you'll see that tomorrow, but that's what we should be looking for. Well, Harvey, that is a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for joining us. Harvey Pitt, former chairman of the SEC. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, this is Emily Wilkins filling in for Joe today. We are continuing our pre-hearing crypto coverage on Sound On ahead of, of course, uh, tomorrow's big hearing where Sam Bankman-Fried will be testifying before members of Congress and they will be asking him a number of questions. Uh, to continue to break this down, we're going to bring back Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shianzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Jeannie, I wanted to ask you kind of about the taking a few steps back, looking at the big picture here. Are we likely to see Congress move a little more quickly on legislation dealing with crypto, given that there is some bipartisan support for legislation and given what we saw with FTX? Yeah, you know, there is bipartisan support on this. I think what we're likely to see is that this is the first of many hearings in this area. And one thing I'm really watching out for by way of seeing what comes next is how Patrick McHenry handles this. He's going to be the chair in the next Congress, and it may sort of give us insight into that. And I'm also really watching people like Tom Emmer. He's been very critical of Gary Gensler and the SEC for not doing their job. And yet in March, he wrote this letter saying they over overstepped in the crypto space. So I'm really watching to see how he gets himself backs out of what seems to be a bit of hypocrisy on that point. So a lot to watch out for tomorrow. You know, as as you just heard, there's 54 members on this committee. So it's going to be, you know, a a really interesting to hear, I think, more from the congressmen and women even than Sam Bankman-Fried. Sure. I feel like the trick for these hearings is always trying to pick out those one or two little things that they say that gives you a direction of where they're going, uh, what they plan to do, where the agreements are. Rick, I'll just come to you with with the same question. What are you going to be watching for with the hearing tomorrow? Well, I I think I I agree with you, Emily. I think that people are going to pull out of this some outrageous statement that Sam Bankman-Fried, better known as SBF, says in this virtual testimony and it will drive news for the for the balance of the week in this area i mean look obviously stiff in the senate shared brown and pat toomey are unhappy with the fact that he wouldn't uh comply with a subpoena to come to washington and address the concerns they say he owes it to the american people for an explanation and i think they're right um i think that he certainly spends all his time on twitter telling everybody what his opinions are and every topic known to man except Uh, accountability for his actions, you know, as a manager and a fiduciary of billions of dollars. So um, I I think he could become the new sort of battering ram, uh, real motivation for regulation. 
I think the winds are probably blowing in the opposite direction from the SEC saying maybe they overregulated. I think I think there's going to be a fundamental move toward regulation because of the scandal and scandals in Washington always create change. Well, Rick, do you, do you think this is change that we're going to see? I mean, obviously this year, probably not going to be able to get anything through. But next year, could we actually see legislation on this? Or is this going to be something where it's going to be the SEC that's going to sort of be primarily responsible for coming up with, with regulations and rules while Congress goes through their usual long process of coming up and passing legislation? Yeah, I think that, that this area, crypto and regulation of the uh, uh, major Internet companies uh, are going to start the year in a flash. I think that these are areas where there's bipartisan agreement that they're unhappy with the administration of these two industries uh, that are relatively self-regulated uh, by most standards. And I think Congress is going to act and I think it's going to act in a bipartisan fashion. And I, I and my bet is it's going to act early because this is kind of a. Christmas gift for you know for regulation-minded Congress people, you know because they now have something uh, that has outraged the American people and they can do something about the outrage. I would say harder to tell, you know, with the administration. They've been sort of, you know, all over the place on on crypto regulation and not just the SEC, uh, but the Fed has made comments about this and the FTC has made comments about it. So it'll be interesting to see if anything's done. Well, Rick, Jeannie, thank you so much. That was Rick Davis, Jeannie Shianzano, our wonderful Bloomberg contributors. Thanks also to Harvey Pitt, uh, as well as Terry Haynes for joining us. I'm Emily Wilkins, in for Joe Matthew. This is Sound On, and this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.